Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Church London catch-up service. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a passion to present Jesus to London and would love for you to be part of the adventure. So why not say hello to us by visiting our website manualchurchlondon.org so we can get back to you and say a bit more of a personal hello. is for us to pray. For some of us, it's going to mean to, to pray for the first time. It's going to be to fast. For some of us, we might fast for the first time. And it's also going to be an opportunity over the course of this month to mourn and to weep at the current condition of both the church and the world around us. Now, that might not sound particularly appealing to you, and the name of the game today is to try and help all of us into a place where we understand that with a bit more context and understanding. So let's just give some context to the book of Nehemiah. As I say, it's in the Old Testament. That means it's before Jesus has come from heaven to earth. It's in a moment where the Israel nation, remember God at the beginning of the story of the Bible, has called and gathered a people to himself. There's this moment in Egypt where Moses leads them out of slavery. And then they wander around the desert for, for 40 years. And eventually, Joshua leads the Israelites into the promised land. In the Old Testament, land, the land, was a sign of God's blessing to his people. And so they go into the promised land, into the blessed place, and they see victory after victory against other nations, and they establish themselves in the new land. The city's built, Jerusalem, the temple of God, where God dwells himself amongst his people. But the people of God keep turning away from him. And in the same way that it's a blessing to give the land, to gather the people of God, also, the opposite is true. In the Old Testament, the scattering of God's people comes about because they keep being disobedient to him, and this is called the exile. There's a moment in the history of God's people, the exile, where Jerusalem is defeated, the people, many of the, the sort of cream of the crop, the sort of high flyers of that community were taken um, from a nation called Babylon that had raised themselves up and going across much of the known world, and they would take the high flyers back to their own land to basically indoctrinate them so that the DNA of Babylon would get into them and then they'd send them back again. A few years later, the Persian Empire rises up and defeats Babylon. And what happens in this moment is that there's a new king on the throne and this king, rather than the old king, decides that the different nations that have been scattered have got freedom to go back to where they come from. They've got freedom to worship their own gods and to travel back. And this is a moment where we pick up the story of Nehemiah. It's about 100 years into this moment where the king is allowing people to go back. And at that moment, some of the Israel nation started to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. But they hadn't been successful up until this moment. And we're going to see the moment where Nehemiah hears the news about the current state of play back in Jerusalem. He is still living in Persia, and actually he's got an incredible job. He's the cupbearer to the king. So he's a high flyer in the Persian Empire. He knows the king himself and is the cupbearer, and he's going to hear news about what's going back on in Jerusalem. As I've said, what we're going to hear in a moment when we get into the text is a moment, a moment in the life of Nehemiah that radically changed him for the rest of his life. For us, sometimes we need to have a moment in God. I've been praying, not just this week, I've been praying for the last couple of months that today and through the course of January, it would be a moment for us as a church. A moment that God grabs our attention. A moment where God breaks our hearts. A moment where God helps us see the bigger picture, what he's really called us into. 
See, church, when COVID first hit and for the next few years after that, next couple of years after that, really we've been in survival mode. For many of us, we've just been sort of holding on for dear life. And Emmanuel, I want to put it to you that the, the church of Jesus Christ it is not designed and made for survival mode. It's not who we are. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. Nehemiah, in the moment that he has, catches a vision. Catches a vision for the city of God. People sometimes come to me, leading New Day, leading a church, and they're like, what's, what's the vision of the church then? What's the vision of your church? I'm like, well, hopefully it's the same vision as your church. Because the vision that we have for Emmanuel Church London has got nothing to do with me and the elders, nothing to do with our core team outside of the agenda of God. And as soon as it does, please come and tell us because we're getting it horribly wrong. The agenda of the church, the great vision of the church is to be the people called by God himself, by grace and by mercy, not through any work that we've earned ourselves, but by the grace and the love and the mercy of God we're gathered as his people, filled with his Holy Spirit, called to tell a world that is in desperate need of saving that Jesus is alive and that they can have eternal life with him now and forevermore. That's the overarching vision of the church. We want to get that right in this moment of time and we want to hand it to the next generation so that they would accomplish even more than we have accomplished. It's the vision of Emmanuel Church London get underneath the bonnet a bit and you could start saying, okay, well, how are we going to be part of that? How are we going to do that? That's a better question. Good. So in September, we started to talk a little bit about some of the things that we wanted to do this year. And when we start 2023, I want to remind us that there are some things that we just need to carry on doing and doing them well. Church, we need to prioritise gathering together. Well done for being here on the first Sunday back. Can I encourage you, be here as often as you possibly can. Not because it's good for our ego as leaders to see this place filled up, but because it does us good. Because in the same way the vision that Nehemiah had for the city of God, which is where God dwelt, this is where God dwells. Not in screen 12 in the Odeon cinema, but whenever the church gathers together, there God will be also. Church, we need to have a higher understanding, a higher appreciation of what it means to gather together as the people of God. And I mean that on Sundays, and I mean that for connect groups. If you're not part of a connect group right now, don't see that as something as I just want us to be part. This is about the well-being of God's people. It will do you good to be amongst the people of God. It will do you good to share your burden. It will do you good to bring your gift and your talent into that smaller context. To pray together, to seek God together. It would do you good to meet up with two or three people and go through our core group material where we can be accountable to how we're doing with walking with Jesus. Guys, don't go solo. It's not the design of the church. So we're going to continue to prioritise gathering together as the people of God. We're going to continue to prioritise the word of God. We live in an age where we're seeing many people trying to do the Christian faith without looking at the word of God. It's not okay. We're a people of word and spirit. We live by his word. That's our authority. That's where we're standing. If you've not joined us on the journey already, using the bread journal, we're working through the New Testament and the Psalms twice over over the course of a year. It's not too late to join that. If you've got your own reading plan, carry on doing that. If you don't have a plan and you're struggling reading the Bible, come and talk to us. We'd love to help you do exactly that. We're going to carry on prioritising such things. And, and as we look ahead in 2023... There's probably some things that then we, we start to go, do you know what? 
if we're really going to start to advance and we're really going to start to build, there'd be some things in our hearts that we'd love to start to see happening. One of the things for me that I know is that at the top of the priority list, or one of the key things that I'm praying into, that we're praying into as a team, is for us to get a building. And some of you have been on this journey with us and for the last couple of years and have been faithfully giving, whether that's been a one-off gift or you've been giving monthly, and it's been incredible. I just want to say a massive thank you to every single person that's given into that, every person that's prayed into it. It's not off of the agenda. I'd love to see us get and establish ourselves in a, in a venue that we would have, whether it's a long-term lease or a purchased property, that at the very least we'd be able to gather in through the week. So if we stay here in the Odeon Cinema, that we'd be able to gather in the week where we'd be able to have our offices, we'd be able to gather to do worship practice, we'd be able to pray together and hold prayer meetings. You know, every time we do any meeting at the moment, two or three people in the office are working out what venues we can use. Wouldn't it be great not to have to make those calls? Wouldn't it be great just to be like, hey, spontaneous prayer meeting tonight. We've got our own building. Let's do it. We want to train people. We want to raise up disciples. We want to gather our young people. We want to raise uh, young people in such a way that they're able to go into the world and see much more than we've accomplished. We want to see Alpha courses run. We want to see the community around us loved and blessed. We want to carry on with the work we've already started to do with Safe Families and with CAP and with Box of Hope and all these things. And a building is going to help us to facilitate that. I'd love to see us in screen 11. We had a taster of it a few weeks back with the baptism meetings. I'd love to see us in there, because it's bigger. <laughs> and I'm not going to apologise for that. I want to see us get a building, and I want to see us in a bigger screen. Do you know why? Because buildings facilitate division. That's why. It's not so that we can step back and go, look at us, haven't we done well? I want to see that place packed with people lifting their hands to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I want to see people in there that currently are out on the streets that don't know Jesus, that one day will be in there worshipping with us. I want to see this place being too small. Maybe we could use it as a youth venue. I want to see us have a building so that we can gather the people of God together. This is why we think about such things in church. I want to say to us that we need to take this seriously when it comes to us praying. It's not just going to happen. These things, if you want to be a church that's going to advance and see the kingdom of God come, if you want to see a spirit-filled people where people get saved and baptised and added, if you want to see disciples discipled well and leaders raised up and sent to plant churches, it's not just going to happen. We don't just sit in the comfortable six of screen 11 of 12, sorry we're still here, in screen 12 and it just happens. It's going to take every single one of us to cry out to God and to pray because in our own strength, I can tell you this, we won't achieve that much at all. But with him, all things are possible. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Church, it's going to take us all to give our time and our money and our talents. It is. And, and again, I'm not ashamed to say that. For Vic, Vicky and I at the beginning, Vicky's my wife. 17 years yesterday. <laughs> Always just admire her grace and her love and affection for me. If you do get a chance to buy her a medal, she needs one. No, it's a privilege to have been married to you for that long, my love. And uh, we, we, we start every year and we, we think, you know, just because we're the leader, leaders of the church, we're involved with leadership, it doesn't mean that we don't think about our giving. It doesn't mean that we're not under time pressure. Vicky works a full-time job. We've got two wonderful boys who are full of lots of energy and they do lots of things. And we think, how are we going to spend our time? How are we going to spend our money? How is the church the priority this year? 
We need to do that. Every single one of us. Church, it's a moment now. I'm not going to stand here and just plead with you and say it's the right thing to do. I want us to look at the scripture this morning. And and through the word of God, I, I want to convince myself even more and every single one of us that there is no greater purpose no greater organisation, no greater place to put our time, our money and our efforts than the church of Jesus Christ. He loves it. He came for it and he's coming again for it. We, the church, we're going to be with him forever. There's nothing more valuable than giving yourself to the local church. If this is your local church, if this is your family, there's nothing more valuable than giving yourself unto his people, the church, to see it built and established for his glory, for his name, to see many, many people impacted by him. Shall we look at the word of God together? Nehemiah 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and in shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. We're going to see in the next few weeks how Nehemiah started to pray. We're going to see Nehemiah praying and crying out to God, confessing the sin of a nation, confessing the sin of his own life. We're going to see him crying out to God and reminding God of the promises upon the people. We're going to see him moved and compelled in such a way. We're going to explore that. But first, this week, I just want us to look at the first one to four verses. And I want us to see how Nehemiah hears this news. Because church, we need to be those who hear the news just as he heard the news. When Nehemiah hears this news, he is rocked to the very core of who he is. He's allowed the news to get into him in such a way that it's changing him. He's impacted by it. Now, in this day and age, to be hearers of news ain't always that easy, right? I've got into a little bit of gaming recently over over Christmas. (laughs) I need to be careful. Keep praying and reading my Bible. But we bought the boys a little, you know, machine. And I've uh, indulged a little bit. One of the things that you notice with Xbox or PlayStation, and for some of you it's just social media, but let's concentrate on the gaming thing for a moment. And you guys know this if you work with kids or you've got kids. That something happens when someone starts to play on an Xbox or a PlayStation. It's like an invisible force field that goes around said people playing, and no sound can get through the invisible force field. You literally could say pretty much anything, anything, and the best you're going to get is a grunt. And I've fallen into that trap. And there's some things what you learn is with particular people, there's like trigger words. So with one of my children, I won't say who, if you talk about food, 
I mean, they will run to the food. And I mean run to where the food is. They just have to get a sniff of it. The other one, if you're sort of saying to them, listen, because you've not come off as quickly as I'd like you to, we're talking about a screen ban. You start talking about screen bans, the remote's down, they're up and they're off. Vicky's still working on how to, to get through to me, but we'll work on that another week. The point is, is, is in this day and age, it can be a little bit like that. We're bombarded with information, news every day. And often it just goes in one ear and out the other. Think about the last few years. Think about some of the, the drama that's taken place, the significance of it, the magnitude of it. COVID, George Floyd's death, and the reality of how the church needs to respond to the continuation of racism in our nation. Think about the war in Ukraine. Do you remember when the, the tanks started just to roll into the cities? I remember exactly where I was. And you think about these moments, and, and what happens is, is these massive subjects continue in our lives, and we keep talking about them and hearing. The more and more you hear, what can happen is that we become very apathetic to that kind of news. And, and it's like that invisible force shield goes around us. We're flicking through our news feed, and we, we see more pictures of people being hurt, destroyed, killed, whether that's on a local level, whether that's in a war, and we just carry on flicking. And then we stop and we see our mate was out the night before. Oh, she looks nice. He looks nice. I don't do that, by the way. I'm sure you do. We need to be people, when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to the news, the news that we need to hear, we need to allow it to get right through to our hearts. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile was in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Nehemiah doesn't just turn around and go, well, yeah, loads of cities are suffering at the moment. God, it must be a tough time. Anyway, cut there to the king. What's next? Here's the news. And he weeps and he mourns. Because this city, somehow for Nehemiah, this city and what it represents is personal. It matters to him. Why? he knows who God is. He knows who God is. He knows the purpose of this city. See, this city where the temple is, is the dwelling place of God. Remember we're in the Old Testament right now, yeah? So if there's no city and there's no temple, there's no gathering place. There's no gathering place, there's no worship. The people of God have been scattered. Nehemiah hears the news, that matters to him. It really matters to him. When the Old Testament talks about the city, when it talks about Zion, when it talks about Jerusalem, it's a foreshadow of the church in the age in which we live now. So this man hears the news of a city called Jerusalem. Emmanuel, I want to ask you this morning, how do you hear the news when it comes to the church? How do we collectively hear the news when it comes to the church in the day and age in which we live? Because if we want to see our church and the church across this nation, if we want to see it strengthened and established, if we want to see it raised up, if we want to see it to be filled with impact and purpose, if we want to see it become functional in the way that sees many people come to Jesus Christ, to see broken people healed up, to see communities reached left, right and centre, if that's what we want for the church, we need to hear the news. And I tell you this, it's a heart issue. Before anything else, it has to hit the heart. This isn't a social club. We're not a group of do-gooders. We're not just a charity that's trying to do our best. That's not who we are. 
We are the people of the living God, filled with the Holy Spirit, given orders from Jesus Christ himself, the King of Kings, to establish the kingdom here on planet Earth as it is in heaven. We need to hear the news. And it's a heart issue. Because if it doesn't catch the heart, then we can't build in strength. So who is it that we're meant to be? What is the news? Let's think, first of all, who is the church meant to be? Who are we meant to be? Well, it says in the Bible, I've already said that in Matthew 5, 14, it says this, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill. How many of you grew up with that verse? Give me a hand in the air. How many of you talk, pray, think like that? Not going to ask you to raise your hand now. How many of us wake up in the morning and we look at ourselves, we talk to a friend, we talk to a spouse, we're a city on a hill. We're a light to the world. That's the agenda for today. That's who we are. See, in the purposes of God, he is established by the work of Jesus Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. He has gathered us to himself to be the church, a city on a hill, a light to the world. What's that getting at? It's to, to mean that we're supposed to be visible. Not that we're supposed to take, you know, rather than going to screen 11, we'll go down Greenwich Park. We're not talking about that. There's moments where we can gather together like this and it's all good. Supposed to be visible in, in what we believe, in who we believe in. I know Jesus. He's changed my life. I want to introduce you to him. We're supposed to bring purity and righteousness and gratitude and generosity to the world around us. And so often, and I'm not just talking to us as a church, I'm talking about the church across the UK. So often we're simply comparable to the people around us. The only things that really make us different is we might have one less glass of wine or a beer, might not swear as much, or maybe we do, but we just don't use certain words. Maybe we've got a smile on our face through gritted teeth. What, what makes us different? What genuinely makes us different? If we're the people of God, filled with the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, called us to be together, to be a city on a hill, a light to the world, we do have to take moments... And I'm not talking about our salvation here. Please hear me. Right? We are saved. If you know Jesus Christ and you preach your church, we're saved. I'm not talking about that. We have to have a sober reflection sometimes and say, are we? Are we being a light to the world? Are we a city set on a hill? That's what it says in the scripture. This is what we're meant to be. Jesus came for this purpose. And I tell you, Jesus did not save us for mediocrity. He didn't save us so that we could hide. He didn't save us so that we could pull back into our own homes and, and hold this wonderful truth about Jesus Christ to ourselves. He didn't die for apathy. He didn't die for fear. He didn't die for the, the sake of not knowing what people might say about me because I'm a Christian. He didn't die for any of that. He died to win a people to himself. And in the grace of God and in his sovereign plan, he wants to use us to, to help people understand exactly that. We're to make ourselves known, church. We're to get our hands dirty, grafting, doing the work that God's called us to do. We're to sit with those who are broken. We're to go to those that are in need. We're to proclaim the good news to those that need a saviour. Jesus didn't just come and talk about what the church should be, did he? he? He told us to go. He said to the disciples before he went to be with the Father, Go, therefore, into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Feel free to join them.
This is what Jesus has called us to do. Have you heard the news? Have you heard that news afresh? Some of you have heard it hundreds of times. Hundreds. Maybe today's a time to hear it afresh again. That's who we're meant to be. That's who he's called us to be. He talks about who we're meant to be because he's come, but he also talks about coming again. How do you hear that news? Jesus has come and he's saved the people. That's incredible news, right? He's caught us up in his plans to, to help people come to know him. But there's also news that he's coming again. And it's a great and terrible day, church. A great and terrible day. When the trumpet sounds, Jesus is coming to judge the world. It says in the scripture, and it's right here, it's not here to scare anybody, to paint a bleak picture for the sake of it. It says in Matthew 25, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There will be a moment that will come in our future when Jesus will come again. And there will be a separation. Part of the agenda for us as a local church in the now is to help people see the beauty and the splendour and the wonder of what it is to have that faith completely eradicated because there's a God in heaven who loves them and is calling them to be with him forever. How do we hear this news? Maybe you look at the condition of the church right now and you're like, yeah, we're doing all right. We're all right. Church is all right. Church is established in the UK. Go to most towns. There's a church. People singing. Jobs are good. I tell you, if the jobs are good, Jesus would be back by now, just to say. There is a work that needs to be done. Now, I'm not here to say anything judgmental against this church or any other church for that matter. Obviously, I can push the boundaries a little bit with us. I'm not here to take away from anything that God is doing across our nation. Because I tell you, there are many churches that are doing fantastic jobs here in the UK and in our city. Multi-ethnic, diverse, gospel-centred, spirit-filled, word-based churches that are doing a fantastic job. Church, I want to be abundantly clear with you this morning. Even saying that, I want to be really clear that I wholeheartedly believe with all of my heart with the role that I play here with Emmanuel and the festival that I help lead with New Day across this nation, we need a great move of God again in our nation. We need it. We need to be on our knees crying out for God to do something in our nation. So you might have come across the recent census and we're no longer a Christian majority nation. It's not really news, is it? It's probably just catching up with what we already knew, right? We live in a, in a world and an age where, if anything, there's an agenda to push Christianity back and down and oppress it, right? You do know that by now, I hope. The pendulum has swung a long time ago. When you look at a census like that, the people that are ticking the box saying they're a Christian probably aren't living out lives in the way that we would see Christianity. Not to be judgmental towards them, but have they got genuine faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour? I don't know. I don't know how they do these types of things. You might be looking at the UK thinking, yeah, we're doing all right. A certain man wrote recently, a wonderful scholar, Stu Baker, said this. 
Between 2015, in some of his studies, he said in 2015 to 2020, 800 churches were started in the UK. Yay, UK. However, during the same period, 1,900 churches shut their doors for good. We live in an age where many denominations are dwindling even as much as 50% in the last decade. 50% of people stop coming to church. We live in an age that's predicted in the next 30 to 50 years where whole denominations will shut their, their doors for good. We live in an age where there's disunity in the church. There's disunity between different denominations. You might be like, Yo, none of this is new. None of it's new. It doesn't mean that it's not of the gravest importance for us to look into. Living in an age where the church is filled across our nation with false theology, with immorality, with false doctrine, just, just filled with it in all kinds of different ways. And again, I'm, I'm not here to point the finger at anyone doing anything for us. We want to, as best as we can, live our lives out based on the Word of God and filled with the Holy Spirit. I just want to help us understand that it's not all just rosy out there. Now, you guys know that in terms of the world. But the church is not just flying. It is in parts of the world, but here in this nation, you know people are sending missionaries to the UK now. You know that, right? People are sending people to our nation to raise up and train leaders. We've got a generation that's growing up in the most confusing times I think there probably are in all of history. People always argue that with me, so it's always the same for every generation. They look down, I'm like, no, we've been through some stuff recently in terms of the industrial revolution, in terms of the technical revolution. We live in a different age and space at the moment. It is a confusing time to grow up as a young person, a very confusing. And the backdrop of that is as our young people are growing up, the stark reality of a lack of consistent and strong leadership in our nation. And that's not just in the world, that's in the church. Church, we need men and women to stand up and say, I'll lead. I'll disciple, I'll help raise a generation, I'll teach them the Bible, I'll pray for them, I'll suffer with them, I'll pray that they get filled with the Spirit. We need to be these people, church. We need to be. Because I would put it to you and to us that we live in an age where the walls are down. Where the walls are down. And so where are the preachers? Where are the evangelists? Where are the pastors? Where are the apostles? Where are the men and women, the God-fearing men and women that will stand up and without compromise proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ? With all love and with all grace and with all sincerity, but without compromise. With courage, because he's coming again. It's urgent. It's not a game. It's not like, oh, with a church, let's just see what happens. The church, he's coming again. He's coming again. Now I'm not trying to sort of scare us into anything. I know this is high challenge today. Welcome to 2023, right? I just want to keep helping us. It's okay to think like this, despite being saved. Despite knowing the love and the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives and for us as a community, it's okay, though, to have a sober reflection and say, you know what, I think there's more for us. I think if, if that is what he's done for us, I think there's more for us to do. I think there's something that's got to happen in my heart because if that really is true, it doesn't seem to be connecting with my head and emotions. I, I don't seem to be living out my life in the reality of Jesus Christ. And that's a, a lifelong thing to pursue, right? But we can help one another do this. 
Church, I put it to us that the walls are down and we need to see the walls restored. We need to see the church of God restored in this nation. We can't go and restore other churches, but we can have a good look at ourselves and we can have a good look at our church and we can start to pray and engage God on this level. His intention is, in his plan, that churches all across this nation and across this globe and across this city would be a shining light into a dark world. We are part of that agenda. How amazing is that? Do you know Jesus knows Emmanuel? Flipping loves it. Do you know that? got massive plans for Emmanuel. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface yet. Massive plans. There's people out there that he wants us to go and see saved. We can't save them, but we can tell them about Jesus, right? There's brokenness out there that he wants us to meet people in their brokenness. He's got massive plans for us. Do you think screen 11 is beyond Jesus? Do you think a building's beyond Jesus? Do you think a shortfall and a budget is beyond Jesus? Really? Really? He's called us to do great things. Great things. But we need to hear the news. So how does Nehemiah respond to the news? Well, he hears it. And as soon as he hears these words, it says, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying. Pretty simple, really. How does he respond? He mourns. He weeps, he mourns, he fasts, he prays. And and church, I want to just ask us, how are we hearing the news today? How do you hear the news that Jesus has come? How do you hear the news that Jesus is coming again? How do you hear the news of where we're currently at as a nation and as a church and where you're currently at as an individual? How do I hear the news? It's important to ask ourselves that. For some of us, maybe we get angry. We start getting angry at other denominations. They shouldn't be doing this, they shouldn't be doing that. For some of us, we love to get angry at our own family of churches' denomination. We shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be doing that. Maybe we're looking inside the church and it's the leaders and we get angry at them or we get angry at ourselves and we end up just sitting in the mud going, poor me, I can't do anything. That's not who Jesus has called you to be either. Maybe you point the finger at the rest of the church and say, everyone should be doing something else. Everyone should do more. We get angry about it. That's not what Nehemiah does. Maybe for some of us, it's just like water off a duck's back. Yeah, I know Jesus came. I know he's coming again. Yeah, tick in the box, a bit church. Sunday lunch, here we come. What's on TV? It's bigger news than that. It's bigger news than that. That's not how Nehemiah responds. This gets into his heart in such a way that he falls down, he mourns, he's weeping. Weeping. For some of us, maybe we hear this kind of news and we're like, right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to change the world. And there's a place for that. That will come. We have to do that as the strength of God. Because for some of us, we're so quick, I'm like this, so quick to be an activist. It's like, I'm going to do it, let's go, go, go. We sort of rip the shirt open, Superman outfit on, let's go and do this thing. And it's not going to work, that's not what Nehemiah does. Do you know, he prays and he fasts and he wants, I reckon, for about four months. Terry Virgo, who started the group of churches that were part of called New Frontiers, in 1983 said this, about this passage as he was preaching. He said, until we have wept over the ruins, we're never going to build a wall. I was listening to this in the gym, I think about November time, this this message. 1983 was the year that I was born. As Terry preached, and I listened back to this, this, this talk, I tell you, it broke me in the gym. I had to stop running around. No, I wasn't running around. I was running on a treadmill. <laughs> That'd be weird if I went to the gym and just ran around. Just to keep fit. What are you doing? Just getting fit. Honestly, I was running on a treadmill and I had to stop it. 
and I, I was weeping. Because the Spirit of God comes to be like, well, it's you, Ben. You cry out a lot of things. So I'll tell you, Nehemiah wept. I, I, I'm called weeping. I'm secure in my masculinity, thanks. Jesus wept. Jesus came across Jerusalem. In, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus wept. He looks across the city of Jerusalem and he wept. He wasn't weeping over the bricks and the mortar. He wept because he saw a people, the people of God, and they had missed the reality that he was the Messiah. They had missed the reality that he had come, and he wept. <coughs> Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he wept. See, weeping isn't a sign of weakness. We weeping can be a sign of revelation. I appreciate that some of us, when we weep, we're proper howlers. Yeah, so some of us, God's going to break our hearts, and we're going to be screaming it out. And for those of you that don't do that, have grace for that. Yeah, just let people get on and do what they do. For some of us, we're going to be a bit more sniffly. Shoulders going. For some of us, it's going to look like it just isn't impacting us at all. Listen, just want to say, it's got nothing to do with how it manifests in that sense. Everything to do with what's going on in here. Have you heard the news? We need to see the magnitude of the issue. What we see in the story of Nehemiah is not a man who just falls to his, to his face weeping and mourning and then that's it. What we're going to see is a courageous man. We're going to see a man that rises up, that has the favour of a king, that goes to the city, that gathers people together, that re-establishes the walls and causes the word of God to flourish amongst the people. They have a party and a festival. They're going to worship. They're going to see all these things happen because of this moment. Because of this moment. At the beginning, the beginning of chapter 1, it says, now it happened. What happened? This moment happened. Nehemiah heard the news and he was broken. And mourned. Now, I don't know what happened in those four months. I don't. It doesn't say. But what I do know is this, is that Jesus says in the New Testament, he says, those who mourn will be... Anyone? Comforted. Top points, Libby Gibbs. Just give it up for Libby. So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now this word, comforted, don't be misled by thinking about it in modern English. It's not a fabric softener. When we think about comforted, we think about like a sheep onesie and sitting in front of the fire. That's not what's going on in this passage at all. To be fortified, comforted. That's what it means, comforted. To be fortified, to be strengthened. So the promise of Jesus is that when we mourn, when we weep and mourn over the condition of the church and over the condition of our city, when we fall to our knees and start to cry out and cry out to him, he says, I'm going to meet you and I'm going to strengthen you and I'm going to give you fresh faith and I'm going to give you courage. I'm going to reestablish myself in your hearts. So when you get up out of mourning, you're going to know that I am with you. What does Jesus say when he sends the disciples into mission? And surely I will be with you to the end of the age. We're not talking about building a wall on our own here guys, as we mourn, as we cry and cry out to God, he's going to strengthen us. Church, I believe that this month of January is designed for us and I believe that the Lord's led us into this in such a way that we will be fortified to see Emmanuel come back to full strength and beyond. Because I believe that God hasn't called us just to get by. Otherwise we might as well shut the doors and call it a day. Because there's plenty of other churches that are doing other things as well, right? God has a specific mandate for us here to see his kingdom come. I believe it with all of my heart. We are all in. Me, Vicky, the boys, we're all in. That's why we're here. And we're going to rebuild this thing. 
And there's going to be different parts of the wall for every single person to build. And the Lord is going to strengthen us to do exactly that. And I believe that we will see people come to faith. And I believe that we will serve our community. And we will see broken hearts bound up. I believe that we'll see it all. And there's a moment now for us to have a sober reflection for where we're at. Have you heard the news that Jesus has come? He's coming again. The church, the walls are down. We need to weep, we need to mourn, we need to cry out to God and expect that in doing so, he will strengthen us and he will add to us and prepare us for the work ahead of us. Let's worship the Lord.